For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a look at how the arts are surviving difficult times. Meet a busy visual artist who returned to her local roots, and now she's guiding the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona through the pandemic. Find out what a working artist mom and her musically intuitive son have been creating together while in quarantine. And can traditional performing arts survive in an online space? Four arts educators in Tucson talk about fostering creativity in a virtual medium. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. It feels like the pandemic has taken much away from us, including the traditional gatherings and diversions that we count on in the hot summer months. But it's also created a sense of urgency in the work of many artists. As we'll hear, it's driven many creatives to use time in quarantine to push their projects farther and faster than ever before. Next, we look at how the arts are surviving, and in some cases, thriving in uncertain times. For more than 40 years, one group has been promoting the arts in this community, and that organization has now hired a new executive director at a time when COVID-19 is creating unexpected challenges around the world. Here's Tony Paniagua with a profile. While growing up along the U.S.-Mexico border, Adriana Gallego experienced and embraced a binational world. From language and food to music and more, this rich and complicated region travels with her wherever she goes. It's an integral part of her life. I'm uh, originally from Ambos Nogales. I was born in Nogales, Sonora, and grew up alongside uh, in Nogales, Arizona. Went to high school there. We even had uh, radio stations that played our our favorite bands here from the states. But also, you know, we got to hear the latest uh, Latinx pop that was happening in uh, in Mexico. So having an understanding and having that kind of Binational experience really opened up possibilities. Possibilities for the, uh, a way to interpret the world. After high school, Gallego broadened her horizons at the University of Arizona, where she studied painting and drawing in the 1990s. She became familiar with TPAC, the Tucson Pima Arts Council. TPAC, which was established in 1984, works with public arts projects in the community and provides grants and professional development opportunities to artists. So grateful to have benefited from so many of the services that TPAC provided during my formative years as an individual artist in the 90s that I saw this as an excellent way to give back to a community that gave me so much, um, not just as a grantee at the time or a teaching artist working in rural Arizona, but also as, a, as an advisor, consultant, and partner throughout the years. In 2016, TPAC was reorganized as the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona. And earlier this year, Gallego was named as its director. So this really gave uh, an added element of, of coming back home and, and being able to give back. 
She had been living and working in San Antonio, Texas for a few years, but had recently returned to her Arizona roots. I first heard about the job opening uh, during the winter, and actually um, I decided to apply right away. It was uh, just the opportunity that I wanted to embrace because I was uh, delighted to be back home in the desert. My husband and I had been living um, out of state for the last 12 years, and we really felt it was time to come back home. So it actually aligned perfectly because we made our way back home before the job announcement came out, and it was a perfect alignment. An ideal arrangement during a tumultuous time in our history. The coronavirus was not even on her radar screen when Gallego heard about the job, but now it is a consistent part of the conversation. Did you ever think you would be in this position right now? No, but I don't think I'm alone. I don't think any of us thought we would be in this position. Many artists, like the rest of the population, are struggling. No performances or gallery openings. The loss of other jobs that pay the bills in many cases. The challenges are adding up. Usually I'll start my position with uh, listening tours and learning and then um, taking a course of action. Uh, but because of the severity of the situation and the time-sensitive nature, it accelerated the speed of this approach. So I immediately started meeting with local, state, and national peers and partners advocating for support on behalf of our communities in southern Arizona to mitigate people's loss of income and livelihood. In addition to that, we also sought some funding at the federal level a couple weeks into my tenure for $250,000 NEA CARES Act funding in support of arts organizations in Southern Arizona because of the extreme loss that they were experiencing. Still, once the situation begins to improve, Gallego believes that artists will have a crucial role to play. She says they are your friends, family, and neighbors, and also strangers whose different perspectives can contribute to the healing process. To be quite frank, our artists and culture bearers will be instrumental creative think tanks to help us through the recovery process. Economically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, artists can help us course correct at a critical moment in history, and they have. Historically, they can help us innovate more humane and equitable strategies to rebuild our communities. Um, artists are dedicating their livelihood and clocking in those 10,000 hours in thinking outside of the box. So at times like this, uh, we can't afford to look away or leave behind these thinkers and workers who harness the power of the imagination daily. For now, Gallego is grateful to be back in her beloved border region, an artist assisting others while running the group that helped her more than two decades ago. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua. Even while staying busy running the foundation, Gallego likes to unwind by working on her art when she can. You can find examples on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Yvonne Montoya has always seen the world as a stage for dance, whether it's in her living room, her kitchen, or the back of a pickup. As director of Safos Dance Theater, she's created projects unique to the Borderlands experience. 
Like many of us, if it weren't for coronavirus, Montoya's summer would have been very different. She was honored with a year-long fellowship as a citizen artist at the Kennedy Center in New York, and it was intended to culminate with the performance of a project called Stories from Home this September. Instead, she had to refocus her energy and use her art as a way to navigate the very different experience of a stay-at-home mom in Tucson during the pandemic. The result is a new web series called Stories from Home, COVID-19 Addendum. It is also a collaboration with her 12-year-old son, Buddy, who enjoys expressing himself through music. Yvonne Montoya says the stories they are telling are directly inspired by how the pandemic changed their lives. It completely upended everything. The transition to homeschooling was so quick, and it was incredibly demanding. There was an inundation of emails and recommendations and activities and tasks to do that first week that I was at home with my child. Uh, It was overwhelming. And at the same time this was happening, I was having all of these hours long Zoom meetings about shutting down performances that I had had lined up uh, in the spring. Uh, not just stories from home, but other artistic endeavors that I was engaged with while I'm trying to also homeschool my child and that he's getting his work done because it's very easy for him to open up the YouTube tab or, <laughs> you know, do, go on to Discord or something that's much more entertaining than, than engaging in the, the online school. And so that brought me back to the original idea of the motherhood and the performing arts project, which I started in 2016 with my son. It was that same energy, that same level of stress and, and inability to try to balance everything at once. It felt as if I needed to quit my job and just be a a homeschool teacher or a facilitator even because I wasn't teaching. I was more like his appointment keeper and personal secretary and making sure that he got everything <laughs> done. Uh, and so that was the inspiration for one of the dances, which is called homeschooling. What do you want our audience to know about Buddy? What's the first thing you find yourself telling people about your son? Buddy is very easygoing. He is interested in very like tactile things. He's always drawing my attention to like lights, things that I wouldn't notice. Uh, Buddy is in exceptional ed. So I think that that added to the homeschooling. He had a slew of teachers, speech therapists, occupational therapists, uh, social workers who he had, who we saw at school. And so each of them were sending me activities to do in addition to his teacher. So it wasn't just the fifth grade coursework. It was also the speech therapist, the occupational therapist. How would you describe Buddy's relationship with music? Um, You yourself obviously are known for your connection with movement and dance. Would you say that Buddy's talents run in a different way? Yes. When Buddy was about five years old, he told me he wanted to learn how to play the piano. He was also always singing and humming when he was younger. So I had him do a summer camp the, the, with the Tucson Arizona Boys Course, and he also dabbles in other instruments at school. He's tried guitar, trumpet, and violin, but he, ha- he really has an ear for music uh, and not dance. He's playing my soundtrack, so it's a lovely collaboration. <laughs>
a musician, the accompanist. He's playing piano and singing for two of the pieces. He's helped me design soundscapes. He also is producing the blooper reels and a vlog for the Patreon series. So he's also creating video content for the piece as well. A true artistic collaborator. Uh, of course, you know, it's age appropriate. He just turned 12. So we know where the movement's coming from and where the music is coming from, but what about how this story is being told? Who are you working with to document stories from home? Buddy and I are working with an incredible filmmaker, Dominic Bonicelli, who we have worked with on and off for about 10 years now. He is an excellent photographer, videographer, filmmaker, and we are blessed to be able to work with him on this project as well. He shot our initial dance film in 2016, and he will be shooting the next five pieces that we have coming out. And what are the topics that people can expect? There is a dance about Buddy's remote piano lessons, a dance about my uh, journey through homeschooling, a dance about our evening walks through our neighborhood, a dance about my insomnia that I've been having since the beginning of the uh, pandemic, uh, and a dance about postcards, sending notes to family members who we can no longer see. Hey, Mom. I wonder what our house looks like in the 60s. Why don't they shut that off? Is that actually just a Remember when grandma was like overreacting and then I called her down? File name is EXE. How about MP3? Hey mom, what's up? You got the weirdest idea ever. I would like you next to tell people how they can interact with Stories from Home. What's the platform for this and, and when can people expect to see it? So Stories from Home, the COVID-19 addendum, will premiere on two platforms. Every Wednesday, July 15th through September 15th, there will be a dance that is shown on Instagram Live at MPA Project One. That is the handle. The dancers will be on there for 24 hours. Anyone can go and watch them. We will perform and take some audience questions afterwards uh, so you can ask us anything. And um, the dances will also exist on Patreon, patreon.com, Yvonne Montoya. There will be the stories behind the dances, what were the inspiration was. So there's a little bit more curated and hands-on content. And there's a chat feature. So you can also reach out to Buddy and I if you have any questions or comments or just want to talk with us. I'm really interested in hearing what other parents and moms are doing and how they're faring both when school was happening and now during the summer months because I recognize a lot of kids might not be in in summer camp. And so if anyone wants to reach out and share their story from home, we would love to hear from them. The fiscal sponsor for Stories from Home is Safos Dance Theater, which received a grant from the Arizona Commission on the Arts and by the Dance USA Fellowship to Artists. The first installment of Yvonne Montoya and her son Buddy's web series, Stories from Home, COVID-19 Addendum, debuted this week, and it will run through September. There's a link to watch on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Arts programs in schools are often seen as optional and therefore they are frequently underfunded. However, there is evidence that during the pandemic, it is our classes that are providing relief and boosting the mood of students who may be struggling to focus on academic work. 
but not everyone is able to benefit from this. Even before COVID-19, around 130,000 school students in this state didn't have access to art class. Mostly, they were those living in rural, low-income, and tribal communities. The pandemic has challenged educators and expanded the access gap to arts education. Elisa Ivanitskaya spoke with four arts educators about the unique challenges of teaching performing arts during the pandemic. It's really important to apply to the situation is disruptive thinking. Not thinking anymore about what can we do to make things most like they were when things were normal, but what's realistic given the situation we're in? What can students learn best in this environment? What can they not learn very effectively? All of it in the context of equity. How can we try to include as many children as possible in what we're doing? That is Brad Richter, Director of Arts Outreach at the University of Arizona. He runs Arizona Arts and Schools, providing free programming for arts classes and support to schools where at least 80% of the students qualify for free or reduced lunch. The pandemic brought out inequities in our system that really emphasized where unfairness was living for a long time, and school districts worked very hard to solve the Internet access issue. One of the things that we did to solve the instrument problem for our program, Upbeat, um, which is a hand drumming program, the very first learning video that we put online around March 15th was teaching kids how to build their own drum using found objects that they have around their house. And then we began to release learning videos on a system that allowed kids to see a scrolling sheet music and kind of a bird's eye view of hands playing a drum so that they had everything they needed to learn the music and follow along. But access to other musical instruments was limited, and that meant some students couldn't continue with music education. For guitar, what we did was we partnered with one of our corporate sponsors, Cordoba Guitars and Guitar Salon International Foundation, and simply bought 75 guitars for kids who are stuck at home without a guitar. Very proud we were able to do that, but it's a very limited impact. In lead guitar alone, we have... 3,500 students. So getting guitars to 75 students is a drop in the bucket at best. So in addition to that, we worked with schools to try to help them loan out their guitars to their students. And where we could, we took part in delivering guitars to students' homes and spreading instruments out wherever we could. But we just didn't have 3,500 instruments. So that's something we have been working on through the summer and are ready to tackle more once fall hits and we anticipate more of these issues. According to Victor, instructors with the Arizona Arts and Schools program have experimented with online teaching for several years, which helped the transition during the pandemic. We can teach approaches and introduce ideas and give guidance and answer questions and show a pathword for how to practice a particular thing. But what doesn't work is we can't practice it with the students live, and we also can't control focus and discipline in the classroom remotely very well. So we've come up with a system that passes the mantle back and forth between us uh, working remotely and a teacher in a Zoom session with students. And then we have lesson plans that give advice to the teacher of record for how they can 
come in and out of those video modules, what they need to do to practice beyond the module, what they can say to grab what was learned in a particular video module and then turn it into live practice for 10 minutes. So we spent a lot of time thinking about that back and forth. Not everyone had the advantage of time. Since 1997, the non-profit Live Theatre Workshop has offered performing arts education, recognized with awards, including the Best Arts Education Program in Tucson in 2013. The pandemic forced them to find new material and build new programs from scratch. They had to rethink theater in a virtual space on the go. Here is Amanda Gremmel, the director of children's programming at Live Theater Workshop and the mastermind behind the online curriculum. When all of this happened back in March, we were in the middle of our semester. Our high school kids were working on Guys and Dolls, and we had to put it on hold and trying to find something new for them to do. A lot of publishing houses like Beat by Beat Press and Pioneer Drama, uh, Hewer and Brooklyn publishing houses who do a lot of scripts for younger actors, those publishing houses are getting with their writers and asking for material. And it has been such a lifesaver for us. <laughs> uh, that's sad. <laughs> okay, who's next? Ooh, ooh, pick me! No one has to play if they don't want to. I wouldn't have said, ooh, ooh, pick me if I didn't want to play. We get it, Poppy. Not everybody has to have the turn. This isn't about me. I just don't want my guests to feel uncomfortable. We don't feel uncomfortable. We just feel that for the first time all night, we're doing something mildly interesting. Pat, go. Does it have to be something you've never told anyone before? That depends on if you usually go around sharing your most embarrassing moments ever. Oh, I do. I thrive on public humiliation. <laughs> That's healthy. That was a scene from the virtual play called Insomniac Cyber Society, performed by students at Live Theatre Workshop. Written by Stacey Lane, it's about a secret society of teenagers who spend nights together in a chat group where reality soon gets confused with dreams. According to Gremmel, virtual theatre is still theatre, even if the working space is limited. At first, I felt hindered a little bit from the screen, and then just kind of clicked for me. Imagine that I, my bedroom now or my office is my stage, and we tell our students the same thing. You know, even if you go out of the frame shot, go ahead and go out of that frame shot, and let's practice full out, and then we can bring it back in. The difference is the set of skills required to perform Online. Here is Stephen Frankenfeld, the assistant director of education at Live Theatre Workshop. We really can focus on a lot of the acting um, with your face, with kind of the upper body, using expressions and different things that sometimes when we're on stage, we do a lot of full body things. So now, hopefully, these skills that they're building through these new lessons, they can bring to the stage when we all come back in person. There's, it's, there's a sense of intimacy to it. Even though we're all far apart, it's kind of intimate to be everybody to be in their own house and uh, together at the same time. To motivate students, educators can even invite professional artists to join the class. Again, here is Brett Richter from Arizona Arts and Schools. We had Zach Filkins, who's the guitarist from One Republic. I've 
big pop band and um, Sergio Vain, the guitarist from Mana, a Latin American pop band that's huge. So they were our guest artists and our kids got to play songs with them on Zoom and ask them interview questions and play solos for them. ensembles with up to 150 kids playing at once. The students had to be really technically savvy and we had, they, they had a lot of instructions. So one of the things I like about this project is that we were calling not only on their musical skills, but some technical and producing skills and some troubleshooting in order for them to participate in that way. What I don't like about it is having to have students able to listen to a click track while recording themselves on video playing means they had to have two digital devices and another person there to help them. There are some ways in which that limited the number of students who could participate. With the full reopening for schools still in question, art classes will most likely remain online. Arts is a vital part of every child's learning and existence. It's how we communicate and how we express ourselves. So this is a time like the 2008 financial crisis where arts funding and uh, arts education can get legislated out of schools again for emergency reasons. So it's another thing that I think we just have to watch out to make sure doesn't happen. Steven Frankenfeld and Amanda Gremmel both teach virtual drama classes for live theater workshop. They say that art improves the mood of their students. You know, in history, some of the great art comes from these exact kind of times. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it's, to me, it's even more so important now than ever because people have strong feelings and emotions and things are going on in their life. People are taking those feelings and emotions. They're putting it on paper, whether that's painting or writing or acting through online. So I think now art is more important than ever. Some of our students tell us, oh, this has been such a great week of camp. Um, otherwise, they just sleep in until 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but I'm having to get up and be ready by 9 a.m., and we're singing and we're dancing together, and we're just being active and creative and getting our minds going. For Arizona Spotlight, I am Alisa Ivanitska. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. Our interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Elisa Ivanitskaya. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.